Oh my goodness, we've got chats coming in. Hi, <laughs> can hear you okay, guys? Thanks, Selena. Um, okay, so my mom's here, Patty. Oh, um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Paul. Hi, Tracy. Um, oh my goodness, everyone. Hi, welcome to another Trans Tuesday. Sorry for the delay. Um, there seemed to be a Zoom issue tonight, but so excited. Um, we have been waiting for this for weeks. Uh, tonight we are hosting on Trans Tuesday, Mary and Tina White, our October couple of the month. Welcome you two. Thank you for coming to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> um, so if you are not getting our emails, definitely shoot me an email so I can get you in the in for this. For weeks. Uh oh, what's going on? Uh, tonight we are hosting on Trans Tuesday, Mary and Tina White. All right, I had to mute you guys for a second. I think you've got it playing in your background. Um, but what we've got going on is uh, I have known Mary and Tina for years. Uh, when I was first getting introduced into the trans community as a photographer, we crossed paths at Keystone, I want to say my second year there back in 2013. And, um, you know, Tina had been going through her transition and Mary and Tina were so embracing of myself, my mom, my team. Uh, they were just two beautiful souls that we loved connecting with. And um, I've so enjoyed watching your journey over the years. I wait, reached wait. out to Mary um, because I wanted to, I wanted to interview a spouse. I wanted to talk to somebody who went through transition as the partner. Um, you know, we had so many requests from our audience members, from our sisters that they wanted to know what is it like for the significant other to go through this process. And uh, so Mary and Tina were so generous with their time. We actually split their interview into like a multiple segment. <laughs> so yeah, every Friday this month we have dropped um, like a portion of their story. So in the very beginning of the month, we heard from Mary on what it was like to be married to Tina as she transitioned. Then the next Friday we heard from Tina, then this, Friday, we heard from them together, and tonight we are welcoming everybody to ask questions to these two live because they are such big advocates for the trans community. They speak for the Human Rights Coalition. Um, they travel the country when not in COVID, uh, supporting the community and talking about um, transitioning and their their life and their relationship together. Uh, it's just, it's beautiful. Tina's written a book. If you've not seen my many posts about it, highly recommend it's called Between Shadow and Sun and available on Amazon. And, um, you know, Tina, when you wrote that, I think you originally said it was, it was almost like a deathbed confession. Um, like it was like a letter to, to your children. Yeah. It, it turned into say I'm going to sit down and write a deathbed confession. It was when I read it afterwards, I just reflected on how honest it was. And I that's kind of the spirit I wrote it with. You know, how do I explain this to myself? Yeah. What I love is, um, you know, it, I think when a lot of people, they write a memoir and about an experience that they've had, 
Um, a lot of times it can just be from their point of view, but you know, it, it's your book, but it, it begins with Mary, Mary, it begins with your forward. It includes letters from you. It includes letters from your children. It's really, to me, I felt like I was reading about the relationships and how everyone evolved together. Because I think when one person transitions, it's it, the whole family's in the boat with you going along, along the current. That's right. It was pretty raw. <laughs> um, we, we did tell you a lot about the feelings of both of us. And it was really hard for me, as you can imagine. And um, hard for her. So, can you snap that back? Oh. We've got a back. Some Zach feed or something. Yeah, I'm hearing a little bit of um some funny audio, but we've got some more people checking in. So Renee Mitchell says good evening to everyone. She's one of our club founders. Um, we've got Erica Timmons. Hi, thank you, sweetie. Um, love you all. Michelle Dion, hello, Mary and Tina. I'm connected via Facebook. I don't know, I've not met Michelle yet, but Michelle, welcome to Trans Tuesday. Erica says you're echoing. The echoing's a little bad. Um, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to fix it. Okay, so while we do that, I'll update everybody on what is happening with My Feminine Heart. So some big things. One, um, if you are joining us for the first time, the interviews that I'm talking about are available to everyone for free to listen to. So if you'd love to hear these stories, go to myfeminineheart.com and you will find links for interviews part one, two, and three. Tonight on Trans Tuesday, we offer free for everyone to watch. Um, but if you wanna watch the interview, you have to sign up as a, a part of our membership. So we have a private little membership club, the Sisterhood of My Feminine Heart where we have special live events, special episodes just for our club members. And um, I've been telling everybody we're not opening our doors until February, uh, but I actually have an update on that. And that update is coming via this Monday night. I'm gonna be dropping a big piece of news on how to join our membership. And that's gonna be during a private studio tour that Lindsay Taub and I are hosting. And so there should be a link in the comments if you'd like to learn more. Lindsay Taub and I are going to be doing kind of a behind the scenes, never seen before, um, look at how we help our clients look and feel amazing head to toe, Facebook to Zoom with her as a stylist and me as a photographer, kind of teaching like amazing tips that we've never shared before along the way. So if you'd love to, um, that's a sign up for free. There's a link in the comments. It's gonna be Zoom, it will not be to Facebook Live. It's gonna be a private Q&A chat um, amongst everybody who signs in. So hope you sign up and, and join us for that. How are you two doing? Do we think we have the audio fixed? Let's try it. Is oh, it better? I think so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Mary, um, that was so brave of you to, you know, share your story. I mean, you cried. I cried. You were so honest um, and raw in, in what you were sharing. What are some of the questions that you get when couples are approaching you asking, what is it like to be in a relationship while your significant other transitions? Because I know you two get um, like contacted on a regular basis. People, you know, couples reach out and they're like, "You've survived transition. How can we survive?" 
What are some of the big common questions people ask? I think a lot of the questions are, um, did you, did you think you would stay? What made you want to stay? What kind of things um, were you worried about? What did people say to you? You know, I, and, and my answers are, did I think I would stay? I had no idea if I would stay. <clears throat> I just went, you know, day by day and trend, pieces of transition by pieces of transition and seeing what happens. And I just ended up staying till the end because um, I'm still here because I really, I love her no matter what. And I knew I couldn't leave her um, alone. I was afraid, actually afraid to leave her alone and going through this alone. She's my best friend and I couldn't do that to her. So a lot of people still ask me, why are you there? Do you, you know, is this a relationship you, you want? Is this what you expected? I, um, I say I'm here because I'm in, I'm in love with her. She's my friend. She's my best friend. And is it what I signed up for? Absolutely not. But um, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty, it's really good. Actually, <laughs> we have a really great relationship. You know, I'm so glad I stayed. I'm glad I stuck it out. And, you know, it's not for the um, weak of heart. It's like you, you can't just make a you can't make a um, quick decision from the beginning. You have to just live through it and decide if you want to stay or not. And you might not. Not everybody does. Yeah. I, I can tell you one of um, the very first person that I interviewed for my feminine heart temperance do it. When I interviewed her a year ago, that was her comment that her significant other, other of 30 some years um, said, I don't know how long I'll stay, but I'm staying right now. And I just did a photo shoot with her a month ago and they're still together. And that's still the answer. It's kind of a day by day answer. Um, yeah, for me, it's not any longer a question. I'm staying, I mean, like I told her, I'm not going to try to train another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for you, this was years ago. Yes, so. it was. Yes, it was yeah. in 2013 when she when she came out at work. So, yeah, it's been a long time. We've been together like this for a long time. I have to say, I think one thing that really helped was moving out of the area we lived in when we were husband and wife, and we moved to a whole new location. So the only only way these people in, in this city know us is by Mary and Tina. So that really makes it a lot easier because people aren't asking all these questions all the time. I think they, a lot of them don't even know where we're married as husband and wife until we tell them. They just, you know, think we met like with her like this. I, I think if you stay together, yes, you lose some things, but couples of any sort become incredibly close when they go through some major challenge together, some crisis. And we saw this crisis through together. And when we got to the end of what I'd call the crisis period, um, I think we just, we'd shared so deeply uh, and such profound sorrows and feelings uh, that why would you want to lose that? Yeah. So. Yeah, we, we've grown very close as a result of going through this because I know what she went through, she knows what I went through, and nobody else could really understand that unless they were 
in our shoes and going through it themselves. So, yeah. I, I, I just saw this whole um, meme and it was, it was all about, you know, life, life can be hard. So choose your hard. And it's like, you know, being overweight is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your hard. But one of the ones was communicating is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your hard. Yeah. And that, that reminds me of you too, because so many people struggle with the communicating um, and, you know, and speaking with you both for, for so many hours, I feel like, of, of course, you're both intelligent and po- both, you both emote very well. Um, for me, the power that I felt was Mary was in your emotion, your ability to just nakedly say when you were good, when you were bad, how you were feeling. And for Tina, your methodological, if that's a word, <laughs> approach you know that you it would for you it was like a a, a dissertation um of figuring out exactly what you wanted out of life and finding a way to authentically for you communicate that i just i i think what you've got going works but i'm going to tell you she even um when it was tom and mary i was always the one that if we got in any kind of disagreement i just wanted to walk out and walk it off and walk out. And she and Tom would say, you sit down here and you talk to me about this. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about feelings. <laughs> and he made me do it. Like, um, I think that that. She, I didn't make you. It was a strong suggestion. Well, you did. You made <laughs> me sit there and talk to you and tell you tell you what I was thinking and feeling instead of just going away, which was my typical go to whenever I got in an uncomfortable situation. I would go for a walk and have to just be by myself to think about, I didn't want to say something I didn't, I didn't want to say something I'd regret. I wanted to go walk it off, think about it and then come back and talk. But she, he made me sit there and talk and we still do that now. She won't let me go anywhere unless I talk to her about how I'm feeling. How are you feeling? That was another clue, right? What guy wants to talk about feelings? (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Um, you know, what I what I really loved about this is I feel like with so many people, I have very similar conversations, um, you know, with what it's like to go through transition. Um, but there were so many nuggets that were unique to the two of you or that you you communicated it with me in a unique way. Um, you know, and I like how you would talk about, um, you know, there were very feminine stereotypes to tom's personality and you're like i i see those flags now yeah yeah and for tina for you one of the things that really drew me into your story and i i know i've i fangirled you for so long with your book um (laughs) (laughs) i was so embarrassed after i interviewed him like i felt like i spent the entire time just reading your book to you um (laughs) but you know i talk with so many people who would say i dream of being a woman i dream of being a woman and you were like, no, I I dreamed of being a man, of being the man you felt that you weren't being. And that's just, that's what I love about the story that you two have put out there is you, you're you putting things in kind of an, a new and different way. Yeah. yeah, I tried really hard to be a man. I did. I know. <laughs> but, you know, um, so if, if you haven't seen the interview yet or read the story, 
um, as somebody who grew up in like divorced homes, you know, that was one of the the touching things is that the two of you, um, you know, you've both been married before and you have this extended network of people in your life that you continue to love and share those relationships with. But that Tina, before you transitioned, you know, you went to your ex-wife's second wedding, excited for her to have a masculine husband and excited for your children to have a masculine father. Um, Yeah, that to me, that's that's so telling of the struggle that you were feeling. Yeah, that that marriage ended for reasons. It wasn't a direct. it didn't end directly because of my gender issues, though they I struggled with them for my whole life, so they certainly made an impact. But uh, yeah, I always felt that I was supposed to be a, a good father and and a good husband. And if I did those two things, I I fix myself, I discover myself, and and uh, that's how it felt at the time. Now I don't feel that any any longer. But I didn't understand that until I transitioned. It's, it's kind of hard to to see that un, until you recover yourself. Because I I was looking at it through the wrong lens, through trying to fix everything as Tom, uh, as, as opposed to as just me. I was looking at. I'm it sorry, the wrong I just lens want to. How can I turn the volume? Fix everything as Tom. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mary's screwing around with her phone. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's what I love is how well you communicate now. And Mary, one of the things that you shared in your interview was when you were speaking to Tom, you would ask a basic question. Like, are you hot? Do you want a glass of water? And, you know, Tina, before you transitioned, the mental gymnastics it took for you to answer a simple question like that. Yeah. Um, I'd say you want to, would you like, I'm going to the kitchen, get a glass of water. Would you like a glass of water? By the time he would answer, I'd been in the kitchen, got my water, got my ice, came back in the room and sat down. And I'm like, why are you taking so long to answer this? It's a simple question. And then when, when all this came about, (laughs) she said that in her mind, she had to think, how would a, how would a guy say this? What would a guy say? Oh, I can't think like a girl. I better make think sure I answer this question as a guy would. And I'm thinking, no wonder it took her so long to answer anything. It took him so long to answer anything. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to know who out there that's with us tonight. Have you experienced some of these things that we're talking about? Um, and I've got some questions coming in. So hold on. So we've got uh, Selena, Kyle. Um, wonderful marriage and relationship, Mary and Tina. You two have a great support system. Any advice for those who do not have such? Um, there's a person I know on the East Coast who is wanting to transition and is about to take hormones. Quote, his wife has said if they do, she will divorce. Any feelings or suggestions for them? Thank you. So, um, first of all, that 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 just sucks. I'm sorry. Um, and I... I feel that our story, because I've debated recently, should I be telling my story? Because I feel very privileged. But I think that's that's our story, that this is what happens when you have a support network 
when you have coworkers and friends who treat you well, family who who accept you, and it, it's still a struggle, it's still very hard, but this is what life can be like if the world would just um, simmer down. And um, so, so I, I guess the two things I'd say are, uh, if, if, if your spouse says no, it's probably going to be no. One of the things that my therapist worked through with me was that I had to stop trying to solve and manage this for everyone and to make the journey as perfect for them. That was kind of dishonoring them in a way. If they were angry, if they were confused, I had to let them be that. We were talking about family members, not... Well, me uh, too. Your family, honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we were talking all about you. Um, but 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 no that that I had to honor that and the best advice she gave to me in that case and with family was Tina you need to change your time horizon that no matter how perfectly you do everything it will take them five to ten years for everyone in your fam each person in your family to adjust where they reach a new equilibrium. And that advice alone made me feel a little bit less frenetic and frantic because I, I wasn't trying to solve everything today. I was saying, okay, I'm going to look and say, what do I want to, with each of my children, with my parents, with my siblings, with Mary, 10 years from now, whether it works or not, what do I want to say I did? Uh, how do I want to say I conducted myself? The, the other thing I'd say is, the most important support network that so often we forget is yourself. And what I mean, when I trained, when I was in the midst of transition, I went for walks probably one to two hours a day for a while because I realized that my greatest enemy hadn't been anyone in the world. I was the one who was repressing myself. I was the most transphobic person in my, in my orbit. And I had to I had to apologize for a lifetime of self neglect, self abuse, uh, and and to re earn trust that uh, I'm here to take care of you. And and that sounds odd, but Thich Nhat Han, uh, Buddhist monk, talks about you know when when a baby is crying in a crib, the mother just doesn't get up and lecture it or talk to it. The mother picks it up and holds it and says, "I'm here for you." And I need to spend about a year just every day saying, Tina, I'm here for you, because I'd never been there for myself. And that won't fix things with your spouse, but it got me looking more at what I needed to fix within while I waited for everyone else to work out their own shit. <laughs> and, and for the spouse, I would, I mean, this person isn't the spouse, so it's hard to say that, but you know, I wouldn't make, I've said this before, don't make rash decisions because of your emotions, because you think, you know, you're not going to stop that person from taking hormones. If they have to do it, they're going to do it. So threatening them and say, you do that, I'm leaving you is not going to change anything. It's just going to make it harder. So, and they need support going through this as do you the spouse needs the support, you know, like me, I needed the support as well, but um, you're not going to change that person's mind 
because that's what they have to do to survive. Otherwise, um, you know, threatening them isn't going to do any any good for anything. I, I, I owe so much to this one. I, I will give myself a pat on the back for one thing. I think one reason she stayed with me was I actually encouraged her to look at options. And I was constantly thinking about when I wasn't thinking about my transition, I worked really hard to think about her and what was in her best interest. And I think at some point she said, well, who would want to give that up? Someone who cares about you. And I would do things. I would get up two in the morning if I couldn't sleep because I couldn't think. I would get up and I would go do house projects. And I just tried to find new ways to, to make a love to her and, and just express how important she was to me. And it was exhausting. But um, and, and that wouldn't, if, if that's not, what, if she didn't want to stay with me, that wouldn't have changed it. But I, but I, I, I think it's important to make sure that you're, even as you move forward with what you need, that you still are saying, what does my partner need and, that I can still give yeah. and that they want? You know, I would think with a question like that, um, a lot of questions kind of also come to mind, like how is the marriage outside of this and why is there the no? Is the no because you have a fear of X or you have experience with Y? Like kind of getting to the heart of it. Cause you know, you know, Tina, what you're saying is right. You know, a marriage is, is so many parts. It's communication. It's, um, how are you with, um, you know, agreement on your financial matters? How are you with sex? How are you with the sharing of support in the household? Like there's a lot of parts of a marriage that go beyond gender. Um, so I would wonder, uh, you know, like how you were trying to show our marriage has all these beautiful things outside of the question of gender. Um, you know, how is that how how are those things working for that person? I've seen um, many wonderful transformations in relationships at conferences. And I know that's horrible that we're not able to meet now with COVID. At some point that will hopefully end. Um, but there have to still be support groups out there for spouses because it's when I would, I would, so many of my clients would come to like Keystone or first event or other conferences. And they would say, if only my wife would come, this is like the best part of me. I know she would love me, but she's afraid. Um, and sometimes I would talk to clients for years and then finally the spouse would come and it was, you know, they, they would kind of be nervous at first, but after a day or two, they would see the love and the joy and the excitement and the friendships and you would see them kind of open up and, and relax. And I feel like in my experience, all the couples that I know that shared in a conference together or went to spouse support meetings together and got to meet other spouses, they seem to be on a path to success. Well, that's, um, interesting. Hmm. Hmm. that's interesting. I went, as you know, I went with her right away because I wanted to know what I was what we were in for. So I went to uh, conferences with her right away. And I did it for selfish reasons because I wanted to know what was what it was about, you know? And um, I think it was, I know it was very helpful for me. Like you said, especially Keystone. Keystone is just so, um, 
down to earth and conservative and people are just people and you get to meet some really great people there. And they had a spousal um, area there for spouses to meet to support. That's what I was looking for, spousal support. And um, that was helpful. And the conferences that they had were really helpful. Um, I would recommend Keystone to people for sure um, if, if it opens up again, which I shouldn't say if, I say when it's open again. I think it does help to, to go and meet other people and see, you know what, your life doesn't have to be over. Your marriage doesn't have to be over. If you really love that person, it doesn't have to be over. It's just a little different. And I want to put, I want to say that if anybody wants to talk to either of us or both of us at any time, feel free to give them our contact information, Cassandra, because um, we'd be happy to talk to people. A hundred percent. I will add um, your, how about your personal Facebook pages? I'll add into the chat. Okay. Okay. I'll do that now while you answer the next question. Um, so uh, questions from my mom. Um, <laughs> I'm a, she wanted to know, um, Mary, were you concerned that Tina would have a different personality than Tom? Um, yeah. Uh, yes, I was. I thought she was going to be this Miss Teenager all the time because when they first when she first transitioned, and I think almost everybody goes through it, they're just, uh, um, you know, they're in their teenage stage. And I was afraid she's going to be ditzy and teenagery and, you know, wear inappropriate clothes and um, not be the same person that I fell in love with. And yeah, did, did that come about? Yes, she was a little bit <laughs> teenager. She was a teenager for a little while. Um, but deep down, she's still the same person and I, she still makes me laugh and she's just as smart as she ever was. And, you know, we are, she's still the same person on the inside, just a little different on the outside, a lot different on the outside. Yeah. Tina, what did you expect from yourself? Like, what did you notice with your own personality? Besides, we know you, you learned how to open up and answer questions quickly because you weren't doing <laughs> mental gymnastics anymore. So the communication picked up. Um, well, I, the biggest one was that I had a self and, and that I don't really care what gender I am. What I care is that I, I lived my entire life feeling and it was an analogy that just worked so well for me. I felt hollow to the core and, I knew I was a good person and that I had good values, and but I didn't feel that way. I felt hollow and I didn't know why I felt hollow. And it wasn't until I transitioned that I realized it's because I had hollowed out my core uh, and tried to manufacture something around that. Um, and the good news is that that uh, that core was there all along. Uh, so it didn't, it wasn't like I had to reprogram myself I just had to relax. I, I think um, it's not so much that we regress to being a teenager, but what what we do, it's it's um, there are things that we've thought all our lives, and most people get to experiment as teenagers, um, and we're suddenly we we sort of are like coming out at the starting gate. I'm here. And we can try all these things that we had repressed all our lives. And so we, we do a lot of that. Um, the, the, um, 
But what I learned, one of my daughters said, who was freaked out in some ways, but always very accepting um, in principle of, of my transition and wanted to be supportive. She had difficulty if I would talk about makeup or something, but I was sitting there thinking, gee, I should be able to talk about makeup with my daughter. And what I realized later on was, well, yeah, but um, what your children want of you is to be their anchor in life. And I think what bothered them most wasn't whether I had perfume on, it was, was I being an anchor? And I was spending so much time talking about all that was new in my life instead of being there to talk about their courses, their grades and giving all that sage advice. And th this is what they said. Um, and um, I, I didn't feel I changed very much. I just uh, was able to express who'd been there all along without having to translate it. And the challenge for me was to not always focus on celebrating what was new in me, but again, to celebrate what, what the people who loved me loved about me and, and to let that come forward and not make them feel that they had to shunt that away. Um, one, one thing I really learned in transition, if people like you before the transition, they will like you afterwards and they will want you to, they may be freaked out. They may have their own discomfort, but they wish you well at some level. And, um, uh, and you shouldn't throw away that person that they love and wish well. That's that's one of my favorite things that you put in your book too, which I'm gonna, I'll put the link in the comments for the book. I've already put the links for your Facebook pages and Tracy Ashley, who's a total sweetheart. She's one of our regs. Um, she wants to know that she's already sent you Facebook friend requests. I hope that it's okay. Of course, of course. Um, but you know, I have to say, so this is something that didn't make it into the interview. And for our club members, I am gonna do a bonus roll from this week of like these little moments because we had the camera rolling for hours. So in between interviews, oh, yeah cute conversations. Um, so I am somebody who, you know, uh, I, I, I had my awkward phases growing up, like wardrobe, hair, makeup, um, you know, my weight going up and down. And I look back on so many old photos of myself and I, I cringe and I'm like, I don't even want those old photo albums. And I hate saying that as a photographer and something about reading your book, you know, how you can now Tina go back and look at Tom and say, wow, he was a cutie, you know, and how you can love Tom for getting you here has now made me be able to go back in my own life and look at every awful photo and say, she got you here. That girl, whatever awkward thing she was going through at that time, whatever the struggles were, that struggle got you here and I feel like I'm able to embrace every awkward moment of my life growing up now, and that's because of you and your book. Oh, that's nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I talk to so many people on the show who struggle with, you know, my my male name is my dead name, and I don't like to talk about that, and I don't want other people to talk about that. And one of my favorite quotes is your quote that I'll honor your your memories if you can honor my future. 
and that you get up, oh, I'm sorry, that you are able to, to enjoy your whole life and the journey that's led you here. My children, even when they're 40, oh God, I think it's not me. we're getting close. Uh, my, my children, even when they're 40, will, will be three to me. I will remember those cute little pictures. I still, in my head, they're etched there. And I realized, well, why would I expect my parents to be any different than the fact that they remember me fondly when I was five? It's nothing to do with not loving Tina, but that was just so important in their life. And, and yeah, I think what I said to you was that I will, my contract with my family was that I would honor their past. They didn't need to put away pictures of me in the past. They didn't need to, it was okay if they said Tommy when they were talking about me as a little kid. Uh, I just asked them to embrace my future and to fully embrace Tina. And I think that set everyone at, at ease. And it did do, I, I think actually what I said when I look at pictures of myself, I, I spent my life thinking that I, feeling that I was ugly. I, I'm not saying I was, but I honestly felt ugly and then now as Tina, I, I, I look back at pictures of Tom, particularly as I was putting the book together and I went, wow, I'd do him. Um, and it was- um, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I was able to, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't upset me. And I guess I think of it a bit in third person, though it is the same person, I'm me. Um, but- Wait. We actually yeah. have our wedding picture up from when we got married as Tom and Mary. So, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're celebrating the whole life and the whole right. journey. That's right. All right. So I, we've got, oh, go ahead, Tina. I've got some questions coming in for you. The comments are rolling. Okay. I will just say, I can't understand. I, I, I certainly understand. You do pass through some phases. And if you're in a phase where it's painful to look at pictures of yourself and it it was for me. I, I get that. I'm not suggesting that people should park that feeling. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I love that you gave a perspective that allowed me to accept that past. Mm -hmm. So hopefully like the conversation here is if it rings true for somebody, they can say, okay, I can, I can look back on, on who I was and, and love that it got me here today. Yeah. Um, all right. So Le Leona Seymour, um, has a has a big question for you. My wife and I have been married for nearly 37 years, and I only discovered being trans two years ago after a decade plus of progressive depression and dysphoria. Mm -hmm. We are we are struggling, but she is still here. My wife has been empathetic that she has been empathetic that she can't be attracted to a woman. So I feel locked in a cage. I started HRT five months ago due to life-threatening desperation and turned my life around. I struggle to know what it is that I need because every step towards every sort of feminizing feels like a betrayal to my wife. My wife keeps telling me I need to compromise and that means I have to live in a closet that I just don't know that I can any longer. Every step of this process has been incredibly painful for both of us. My wife is unwilling to get therapy or do anything related to support groups. So I feel like we're on an island. I just don't know what to do to help my wife. Wow. Well, I'm, let me just say this. I'm not attracted to women. 
Um, so, um, but you know, we're in our 60s and sex isn't that important to be honest at, at this age. I mean, um, I don't know if I should be saying this, but yeah, yeah. you know, we can, uh, we can, I can take care of myself. She can take care of herself. And sex is just, it's just uh, an old, old thing, you know, but we're still intimate in ways of, we still sleep in the same bed and we hug and we cuddle and we are intimate in different ways. We still love each other very much and show that by, you know, hugs and we hold hands and we, cuddle and we just don't have we don't I'm not attracted to women and so that doesn't happen but we still are we're still happy I, I think that if this were a fetish for you and you just did it because it, it helped you express a little something extra then negotiation would be appropriate and you talk about let's negotiate this but if we're talking about your identity as a person I think what you will find, and it sounds like what you're finding, you can't negotiate who you are. And, and, and your wife may not understand that. And, and that it's, it's uh, because we typically talk about this in the language of um, clothing or body parts and things that sound negotiable. Um, but if you understand it as an issue of identity, it's you can't you can't not i mean you 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 can not be you but you will be depressed you will be suicidal because I, and that's what i learned was in trying not to be me i was actually effectively committing suicide uh it was just a living suicide and um i wow. think that depression comes from uh the minute i i just made the emotional decision that I would be there for me, whatever that was. And I was terrified of what that might be. It was just like, and that's where the title of the book between shadow and sun comes from. I was suddenly aware that I'd spent 50 years walking in the shadow land and I hadn't been aware of it while that was all I knew. Um, but um, it's, I don't know. When you say therapy, if I were your wife, I might think, oh, they're saying I need to be fixed or our marriage needs to be fixed. And I, I think I would try to frame this. If this isn't about any of that. You are, and, and I want to be careful. I'm, I'm just telling you what I, my reaction to the words you shared. Um, um, if this is a matter of your identity, you need to, you need the space to figure that out and to figure out how to honor that identity. And she needs the time and space to figure out, is she still interested in that identity? And I think she needs somebody to talk to. That's what you probably are referring to when you talk about therapy, just somebody she can talk to about her feelings and what's going on and for her. And she might be like I was, I, was, I felt totally alone while she was figuring out what was going on. And I had nobody I could talk to. And um, I mean, she's welcome to call me. And I made the classic mistake. I said, but you can talk to me. But oh, please. I was the other woman. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you you are you are the one person they can't talk to right uh, about this no matter how wonderful you are well right. and you know one of the things that really struck me that that you wrote about beautifully that that I think almost everyone experiences is when you made the decision to transition you have to live as a woman for a year without the hormones right and the facial feminization and everything so it's like you are being forced to live as a woman in the most physically masculine way possible. And um, you had not yet transitioned at work. So for for the two of you, Mary was completely alone for a year because you were still working as a man and then living evenings and weekends as Tina, um, as a you know, as a woman. And all the secret. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I had to go. I will never forget sitting in Starbucks in Penn Station, surrounded by all of New York, just the throng of people. I was dressed as Tina because I was heading to therapy, but I had to conduct a. It was WebEx, not Zoom, but it was like a Zoom meeting, but without cameras. At the thank, thank goodness, <laughs> uh, with my whole team at work. And so I was dressed as Tina, but to everyone at work, it was Tom conducting the meeting and they had no idea who Tina was. And so I had to use Tom's voice and mannerisms. And I'm just laughing inside saying, okay, if there was ever a stress test, this is it. Because everyone in Starbucks is just looking at me going, what the hell? Uh, This woman is talking to her computer with a manly voice. It was very funny. Um, Or you you had to laugh or, or... yeah, or not survive. But it can be a very lonely place for all of us, you know. And it would be nice. It's nice to have somebody you could talk to that's been through that, or at least understands what's going on. Who was um, the first person for you, Mary, that you talked to and confided in? Hmm. Huh. I'm trying to think. I think it was my sister, actually. Yeah, it was one. Yeah. Evelyn, Evelyn, our daughter Evelyn is. Uh, I could talk to her, but you know she's my daughter, and she was young, and it wasn't the same. But I talked to my sister, who's uh, two years older than me, and she. I think it was. I think she was the one that really understood what I was going through, in the best way she could because she wasn't there, but. You know, I think that that was the person that I was finally able to talk to. And then when we finally started coming out to the neighbors and all of that, I did have uh, a gay friend, that, a neighbor, and he and I were really close. So I talked to him a lot. Chris. And, yeah. yeah, that was hard for me. I really had to bite my tongue because I, I thought it was great that she had people to talk to. In each case, I was worried about the advice that they would be giving her, but I really had to just shut myself up and say, "This she needs this, this is hers. And even if they give her quote unquote wrong advice, um, I need to let that run its course. And if she wants to come talk to me about their advice, then fine. But otherwise, um, yeah, was- I need to, res- it, you really, it's so hard, you have to, res- you have to catch yourself and make sure you're respecting the your partner's needs. Yeah, because one of my, the gay friend that was close to, he would say, you know, 
this is before Tina really knew. I can't remember what happened, but she he said, you know, she's going to be, he's going to be transitioning to Tina. And I think you need to leave, he'd say. I think you need to get out now while you can. Just get out. And I'd say, I, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. But she knew he was telling me that. And that was not easy for her. My sister never said. She'd say, you know, if you want to leave. She said I was selfish. Yeah, she <laughs> said you were selfish. and Which is what a sister should say. Yeah. But it did feel a little bit like you were selfish a lot of the time because it was all about you about everything you're going through and me, me, me. And I want to get these shoes and I want to get this dress and I want I want to get a wig. I want to get a new wig. I want to get some makeup. You know, it was all about you and I, and it did feel, I felt like, holy cow, it's all about her. What about me, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons that we wanted to have this conversation with you because the, the private messages that I've shared with you that I've been getting since your interviews have been unfolding this month have been, Thank you so much. We we so rarely hear from the spouse because when someone transitions, and rightly so, it's it's a big deal and a big process, and it can it can drown out the room. Mm -hmm. exactly. um, so we have um, so Leona who who asked that question says Mary and Tina, thank you. Tina, you are right that this has been about my identity. I'm struggling to figure out what that means, but not given the space to do that. And Mary, your assumption was right. My wife only has one friend that she turns to that lives thousands of miles away. I was hoping that she had a therapist that could help her with her struggles. It's hard to find therapists that understand this too. It's really hard to find. And um, it, I had no, I, when I was living in New Jersey and she was going through this, I would talk to somebody in Pennsylvania because that's a person that was before before my sister and all that. But mm -hmm. I talked to them that, you know, the uh, spousal group in Pennsylvania for the um, at at uh, Keystone. Keystone. Yeah. Yep. So I talked to those to those ladies and um, it was very lonely, very lonely. It's not it's not something anybody can tell either one what they have to do. They have to do what is right for them. And it's about finding the right support group. And if you go to a therapist, the right therapist. And that's something we talk about on here a lot because I'm a big fan of, of you do whatever you need to do to survive, especially yeah. for your mental health. But not all therapists are experienced with gender. You kind of want, you want a gender specialist if you're transitioning and you're gonna want somebody who's had experience with dealing with spouses going through this too and those support groups. Yeah, it's really hard to find. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Leona. Um, I, I, I'm assume I'm going to assume that you two were close before all this, and that you've had generally a good marriage. And if so, you really need to internalize that. For her, you are taking away her best, most precious friend in her life. You're taking away something very sacred in her life, and you may say inside, but I'm still here, but you, 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 no, you, this is something where just as your identity is precious to you, there is an identity that, uh, that they betrothed themselves to, that they have told 
they built their whole life and the stories that are life and they tell their friends about their husband and all their meaning, not all, but so much of their meaning comes from the stories and, and the, um, the dialogue, the meaning they attach to their marriage. Right. And uh, so that's why I say you can't be the one they talk to not initially uh, at some point with with hope you can but um, like it or not and I, I think you do have to be true to your identity but you also have to accept you are take you are taking something away from the people you love most in your life my children they've gotten some real positives out of this, but I really try, I feel it would be disrespectful of them for me not to say I also took away some things that were very sacred to them. And maybe someday they'll co connect them, but maybe they won't. I really have to, I have to honor that. Yeah. And, you know, I felt like my husband died and uh, this other woman came along and took him away from me. And she wants me to be her best friend. And I remember I was sitting in the kitchen just crying when Tina was dressed up as Tina. And I was crying and crying. And Tina's, Tina said, well, what, what's, what's wrong? And I said, I just want my Tommy back. I just want my Tommy back. And she's sitting there dressed as Tina. And she says, I'm right here. What? You are not. You are not Tom. It was really hard. And, and then my identity was another thing. What are people going to think? They're going to think I'm a lesbian. I'm not a lesbian, but I'm a situational lesbian. So <laughs> that's the t-shirt. It actually says situational lesbian. <laughs> you know, it's when um, I remember when I first started dating my husband, other people were asking him dating advice. He had he had a, a co-worker who, who also wanted to pursue who he thought was a glamorous younger woman. And my husband's 12 years older than I am. And he didn't think he was good enough. And I remember my husband saying an, an older boyfriend may not be the sexiest guy on, on the stage, but you can provide stability and maturity and things like that. And not realizing that that is something that attracts me to my husband is I can count on him and he's stable. Yeah. And I know that I'm not the only person out there. So I think when somebody sees a major change, like a transition, it also then becomes, well, what about my stability and my safety and my security? Um, there's there's a lot of, I think, fear that happens when any change, any change happens. You know, there are people who transition, they lose their, their jobs. I mean, that's a significant that's true. change in stability. Um, and, you know, it's when you talk about like our identities too, one, um, one of my favorite authors, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, yeah. she she wrote um, how the easiest way to start a conversation with another woman at a cocktail party is ask how she met her husband or boyfriend. Because if she's in a relationship currently, yeah, yeah, the wife, <laughs> if she's in a relationship currently, she will tell the love story and it'll just come right out. Oh, I, this is how I met my husband or how did they, but if um, she's divorced or whatever, they've broken up, then she'll still want to tell the story because it's like a cautionary tale. 
but that's like the easy, the quickest way to start a conversation with a woman that you've never met before is ask her, oh, how'd you meet your husband? Or how do you meet your, you know, so we have those identities, those stories yeah. are part of how we live our lives too. So there's a gender identity, but there's our identity as, as human beings in our journey on the planet. Um, and I, I think you two really honor that well for each other. I have, so we have another, um, similar, uh, comment to Leona's, um, Tracy McKenna. Um, she says, I can't get past my guilt of letting down my wife. If I were to transition, she's been a wonderful partner for 30 years and I'm afraid I will upend her life and all we have built together. We love each other very much and I never want to hurt her. She loves me and would try to stay with me, but any physical relationship would end because she's not attracted to women. And she has a lot of guilt and fear that she's holding me back from being myself. It feels like a no-win situation for both of us. You, you know, I, I think, and this may be easy to say, but, but we really live this. Um, I wouldn't make the objective to stay together. I would make I would I would do two things. One, I as I said, I would shift my time horizon and say, I mean, if your partner forces you to a decision within a year, you can't change that. But 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 to not one shift your time horizon and say, this is a really big thing, and it's going to take us both a lot of time to to figure out what we're willing to recommit to can we provide that time and during that time there'll be discomfort um the um the, the second thing though is instead of making the objective for them to stay with you it's that my objective for mary was i wanted to say at the end of this that i had done what was in her best interest not with respect to me that's again that's that shouldn't be a negotiable if that's your identity, I, I am, my father, uh, he's a minister, and he says, I have given far more to the world than I gave the first 50 years of my life. And he, he was always very impressed by me. And my children say, I am far more giving and open as a person than I ever was. And so they're knowing me for the first time. And, and what a tragedy if, and this is really what I think partly led me to my transition was the realization that Wow, my parents are getting pretty old. They're going to die soon, and if they died, never have they had no clue about Tina, and and God, you know. So they they die, and then I'm going to die next. And and what if my children had no idea about Tina? Did I ever live? And I realized what a tragic story if if me never walked the earth because the people most important to me never knew me. Yeah. I just, why would I, how could I ever allow that to happen? That, and that's why I said it is like committing a living suicide. But um, so that I can't negotiate. I couldn't, I couldn't say no to that once I understood it to Mary. But what I could do was still say, okay, within that context, how do I make sure I'm looking at what's best for Mary? And that's where I said, you know, if you want to go rent a place for a while, if you want to go, on a few dates, and it was she who finally said, "Stop doing that." I'm, you know, I'm sticking around, but, uh, or I do little bits of research, and I was constantly thinking about how do I make sure what hasn't changed is I love this person, and I want their next thirty years to be happy ones, 
and and I hope they'll give us the time to figure out if that path is us together. Um, and if it's not, then um, you know, with hope you'll still like my wife, my I'm sorry, my ex-wife and I are are friends. Um, and uh, <coughs> it's it's just there are ways of keeping a relationship. It just may be fundamentally different where you're not spouses. And that that's something that every couple has to work out with hope they do it lovingly and with lots of patience, it takes it. Yeah. One of um, the stories that you've shared that I love that is with patience, it, it goes near something that Robin Kunkel said. She said the first year, the pink cloud I drove my wife crazy laugh out loud. <laughs> um, so true. Yeah. And how like, um, you know, I think Tina, you had said at one point when you really have to like explore that, that thank you, Robin, for the phrase, the pink cloud that you would find like a weekend away to do that, to go through the crazy, um, you know, outfits that might not have been like the age appropriate outfits or figuring out kind of where, where you felt right in the world. Yeah, I, I went through a Laura Ashley phase oh God. With, <laughs> with a rose bedewed bedspread. And, but I put that in the. Uh, well, I let the, you have it. You let me have. Yeah. You let me have it in the master bedroom for a little while. Before for that, I had it in the guest bedroom. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think you do need to give yourself permission to experiment. You also need to try to find ways to contain those experiments so that not everyone has to share in them. Yeah. And you know, what if you confirm that something is you, then fine, people need to live with that. But um, again, it, it's when you're a teenager, people expect you to be unsettling. When you're in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, um, people worry. <laughs> yeah. It has nothing to do with gender, they just worry. Yeah. <laughs> We have we have so many beautiful comments coming in. Yeah, Robin says the five inch stilettos weren't practical. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, my mom made the comment, she said, I'm such a believer of building blocks. I heard my mom talk about building blocks all my life. And it's interesting that Tina had to create her teenage block to give her the foundation for Tina. Um, I think that's that's yeah. a really beautiful way to say that. Um, and Tracy McKenna, she said, Mary, that's that's just what I don't want to do to my wife and kids. I, I, it would break my heart to hurt them. So, you know, yeah. Well, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt no matter. I mean, if, if you have to be who you are, it's going to hurt, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not going to kill them. And it's, you know, allow them to hurt because it's going to hurt. So, so my, my daughter, the, Mary and I, my, my daughter, our daughter were on Dr. Oz once, one of our daughters, and he was asking her about how, how she handled me. And it was sort of summing up the, um, her part of the interview and said, you know, it was really hard. It was very hard at first, but, and, and she's a very successful business executive, started her own company. Oh, you're talking about Evelyn. Evelyn. Yeah. And, um, and she just said, um, but today I see her and, and I know her in a way that I never knew before. 
I know her insides in a way that I never knew them before. And, and I've also learned that if she can do this, I can do anything. And what a gift to give to your children. And, and I wasn't setting out to give that gift to my children, but but that's true. Yeah. You, you may be taking, you may be hurting your family and you may um, <clears throat> um, but you also may be giving them gifts that you may not even be able to anticipate. And I think the greatest gift you can give to people is the gift of yourself. And that takes courage. And there are a lot of people, nothing to do with being trans with, with gender who, who don't have the courage to be themselves. And that is a choice in life. You can choose to spend your life, whether it's, career or other things, but identity is pretty, it's pretty hard, but you can choose to spend your life not showing the world or letting anyone in the world, your children know yourself. Yeah. Life is, life is so short to spend it afraid. And right. you know, one of my favorite things, it sounds like a fortune cookie, but you know, it's okay to be a glow stick. When you break a glow stick, it glows. It's okay. Like not all breaks are bad. Sometimes you have to have pain and honesty and you have to climb over that mountain to see the view from the top of the mountain. You know, it's, it's okay to be a glow stick. I think sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my children who are very loving and accepting and we have wonderful relationships now, they would still, I think, if pressed to be completely honest, they would still, they would admit to some hurt that they choose not to talk about most of the time. But I don't think that they would ever wish, and, and maybe that's the question you need to ask yourself, if you had someone in your family that you loved who didn't want to transition because they were afraid it would hurt you, would you want to impose that on them. Um, we, have, we have another comment from Leona. She said, our kids range in age of late 20s and mid 30s. They've been wonderful about this, but I worry about what they don't say and feel. As you mentioned that it hurts them too, did you find a way to get your finger on the pulse of their concerns? So two things. One thing I learned was to respect their privacy and some of them well, I'm very, as you can tell, we're very open. Some of my children, and it has nothing to do with, again, my story uh, and my drama, they're just private people. Uh, and um, in fact, one of us, we did have a talk about that the other day and, and they just prefer, they, they think very well. Uh, they're proud of the things that, that I'm doing that they love Mary, oh my God. But um, of course they do. <laughs> um, but I think the greatest respect I can give them is to just honor that they're probably hurt and not feel. There's a temptation where to make me feel good. I'd really love them to talk to me about it, but that's not helping them. That's helping me. And I think that we really need to be careful to check ourselves how often we're doing something that feels like we're trying to just connect with people and what could be wrong with that. But I think often we're trying to just feel better. And, and um, I just accept that 
that I, I did the right thing. I have no regrets about that. It did create some hurt and that happens. But life goes on. <laughs> and, and, and in the meantime, so then I focus on, so what are the things I can do to be in their life and to be there for them and to, to give to them and, and, them, and let them decide how they want to make sense of it. And eventually they stop talking about it and it just yeah. is regular life, you know? Yeah, she says, my oldest said recently, it's painful to see us going through this. I don't know how transparent or how much to shield them. Hmm. So, so another thing I learned and mine, when I transitioned, my kids were around 19 to 30, my three biological kids. And um, that's, a, that's a horrible time for them. Uh, and having nothing to do with gender, it's they just arrived when they're supposed to be stepping onto the stage of the world and saying, I'm here, this is all about me, my career. And suddenly dad or mom or this, this person has to take the spotlight again. Um, and, and they're not there as their anchor. So it's a very, it sucks for them. And, but, but they have friends. I mean, when I was their age, I talked about my parents all the time and they did things that aggravated me all the time. Um, Cause that's just what happens in your twenties. What helped me was to say, you know, I've got to stop seeing everything through the lens of my transition. Maybe this is just how 20 somethings feel about their parents. And I realized I was taking away some of their own story and some of their own feelings and frustrations that had nothing to do with my gender. And it really, it can be so easy to unintentionally make everything about your, your gender, gender because yeah. you're thinking about that all the time. Uh, and in my kids' cases, generally it had to do with, they actually were completely frustrated by things having nothing to do with that. And they were just as angry with their, their mother, my first wife, as they were with me. Cause, and that's where I realized I really had to set aside gender and just listen for when they were ready to talk to me. One of the, um, one of my clients, uh, was not not trans, nothing nothing to do with gender, but was getting a divorce when I met him and was photographing for his business. And it, I was, you know, it was brand new and we were talking about it and he made the comment to me, he had a 10 year old son at the time. He said, you know what? One day my son might get divorced and I wanna show him how to do it right. And I grew up with a very ugly divorce. I don't know if anybody had ever really thought about that. Um, but I, I remember being blown away. And he, this was years ago, and it's, and it's always stuck with me, that you are always an example for your children throughout your life. Until the day you die, your children are looking to you to see how you're living your life and what you're doing. Um, and whatever you are going through is a model for them. You know, um, your children may deal with a transitioned spouse or a child of their own who transitions or a friend or a neighbor who transitions. Um, so I would say set the best example of love and kindness and patience and communication that you can knowing that that they're learning, they, they are watching you go through this painful time, but they're also watching how you do it. And my, 
my personal experience in life is, you know, I was bullied and in, in, in school and things like that. And I, I feel like when I look back at situations where I had any conflict, all I remember 10, 20, 30 years later, whatever it is, I remember how I responded. Did I respond with honesty and kindness? Did I do the best I could in a difficult or conflict situation? And even if scenarios don't work out the way that you want, I feel if you can live your life where you can look back and say, I did the best I could. And then as a parent, I set the best example I could. I don't know if you can ask more of yourself. Is that fair? That is, that's yeah. great. Yeah. No, I think that's well, well, well put. I see Erica was asking if my kids still call me dad. Yep. Um, no, I don't think my, my, um, when I transitioned, I, they were the one group of people I gave them permission to sort of work out what they wanted to call me. And one daughter called me Tina all the time. Um, or T. Well, no, I'm talking about Evelyn. Oh, okay. Uh, she called me Tina all the time, almost from the start. And, and she meant that it was an embrace from her, an effort. Uh, another daughter called me Tina, but you could tell in the tone, it was her way of actually creating distance and saying, you're Tina, you're not my dad. You took my dad away and I accept you, Tina, but, and, and that was for the first five years, uh, while we always maintained a relationship, but she definitely stepped back from it. It was very painful for me as a parent, but she needed that for her own sanity of, of, of establishing her identity, which had been really set a helper by this. And then my son was the interesting one. He did call me dad for a while or referred to me as his dad, but he meant that very lovingly. Uh, he was going for his graduation right, as, right after I transitioned publicly. And so I was gonna be showing up as Tina and he was getting all sorts of awards, uh, Phi Beta Cap and all that. Um, I mean, can we talk about my son? But um, <laughs> I said, so how, you know, you're going to be getting these awards. I'll be introduced to your professors. How do you want to introduce me? And he thought about, this is my dad. And, and by that, what he meant, number one, his mother would be there at the same time. But I'd also fathered him most of his life. And so that felt accurate. But he just meant that more as a verb. You'd say my dad, Tina. My Dana. Yeah, my dad, Tina. Uh, and uh, that... I was fine with that because he meant that in a very loving way. And nowadays, he certainly doesn't call and say, Dad, can we talk? He says, Tina. Um, but you do get Mother's Day cards and stuff like that from Evelyn and Haley. And him. He, he signs on to that. Yeah. Um, they said I could have either one. <laughs> yeah. That, that um, sounds like a very beautiful and light way to like round out our, our questions for the evening. Okay, all right, no, we're gonna come into a heavy one. All right, <laughs> uh, as, as the questions are coming, I'm gonna wrap us up though, because I know it's getting late. We already have some of our, our members who are who are saying goodnight um, as we've gone well past nine or heading into 9.30. Um, but Leanna would like to know, and I feel like this is a good capstone to a lot of the conversation we've had tonight. 
Mary, were there any resources other than therapy in the support groups that helped you? Well, you know, I speak of therapy. I did try going to therapy. I found a therapist and went to, I think maybe three sessions and I just felt like it wasn't helping me at all. So I didn't go anymore. I am pretty independent and pretty strong. I'm a strong person. So, um, the the thing that really helped me was having my sister to talk to and having that therapy that group from keystone the keystone group was really helpful because that was right around the time she was transitioning and talk being able to talk to other people and seeing that you know some relationships do stay together and so uh, that was helpful but that was about it but what, by the way, when couples reach out to us or, or one member of a couple reaches out to us, often, particularly if it's the person transitioning, I think they assume that we're going to talk their spouse into staying together. Mm -hmm. And we don't. We actually, um, kind of consistent with what we said tonight, is you have to work it out and with hope lovingly. But we do not. I think it's important for them to have access to a resource, someone they can talk to who is taking their side. It's not a like a therapist. If, if, if your spouse's perception is that the therapist is there to fix her, um, that's not going to work. That therapist should be there strictly for her interests, even if that means getting out of the relationship. Um, and I think that's the they need to have someone they feel is totally in their corner, but hopefully someone who is educated enough to get them to look at things and consider more options. But in the end, they really have to, it, it, it has so to be they, theirs. Yeah, they have to decide, you know. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's it. I would say we're, we're referencing Keystone a lot. So I would say the first thing is reach out to um, TransCentral PA. Um, TransCentral PA, they were doing virtual meetings. Um, they, I believe, are back to in-person meetings, but I, I'm not sure. I think it's like happening kind of now. But they're the ones who run Keystone. So it's very possible that they have a spousal support group that is meeting virtually or someone that they can connect you with there. So if you go to Keystone Conference, if you Google Keystone Conference, I think it's keystoneconference.org, run by TransCentral PA is a good resource as I know like first event, the Trans Club of New England is also a good resource. But I tell you what I will do um, from my end is I, I think that we've hit a really important we hit it we hit a nerve here and and it's a good one where we're seeing where we need to bring more of the spousal support out so we are going to do more episodes like this we'll interview more spouses and i will do my research and find spousal support groups and get those people on here chatting um so i will do the best i can to kind of bring those resources out too i want to thank and I see so many comments coming in, just lots and lots of thank yous. Mary and Tina, I hope you take the time to read all these. Um, so grateful for all the time that you have shared and your time tonight. Um, and I, I, I have a feeling that I'm gonna be asking you back <laughs> down the road. Um, you're, you're so generous, I don't wanna take advantage. Um, but even just the way you've opened up tonight, if people wanna reach out and talk to you. And I, and I love that, you know, um, you know, Tina, you, you had said in your one interview when you two were together, 
you know, you're not counselors, you're not therapists yourselves. You're, you're just good people who want to help other people. Um, and I, I, that you have been so open and sweet. It's, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I just am in love with you both and your story. And um, again, I highly recommend. Um, I don't know why they did this, but they wrote a lot of letters through the transitioning process. Like, I don't know if they're emailing <laughs> in their homes, but when you, if you pick up Tina's book, Tina Madison White wrote Between Shadow and Sun. Um, I put the link in the comments. And it was, I think, what, a husband's journey through gender, a wife's labor of love. Yeah. Um, you know, in there, you see the letters, the letters that that Mary wrote Tina and that Evelyn, their daughter, wrote. And, you know, you hear the real words and emotions they were expressing throughout this transition process. Um, so if you if you want to kind of go through that that what that felt like, I highly recommend picking up that book. Um, if you are watching tonight, I want to thank you so much for all of your time. This is a passion project that we started. We launched New Year's Day, and it's been quite a roller coaster with COVID, but it's been beautiful the entire way. Tuesdays have become my favorite night of the week. We do this every Tuesday night, um, a live open discussion. Um, and it's we're all about supporting the trans community at large, but in particular, trans women. We, we truly are a sisterhood of, you know, cisgendered and transgendered women coming in and, and supporting the trans community the best way that we can. If you want to learn more about us, please check out our website, myfeminineheart.com. If you're interested in signing up for our wait list to join our membership, email me info at cassandrastorm.com. I've got a really exciting Zoom event coming out. Um, check out the website and our Facebook page Monday night. It's a private Zoom event to completely help you look amazing head to toe, make you look your most professional best from wardrobe with our stylist, Lindsay Taub, to how you present on Zoom and Facebook and the whole shebang. Um, and then next Tuesday, uh, so we got really deep and heavy tonight. I'm surprised there were no tears. There might have been from some of our audience members. I was <laughs> um, so touched by everything that you shared. Next week, we're going light. It's Halloween, so bring out your Halloween costumes. Our club members are joining us on stage, getting in the Halloween costumes, and we're just going to have a, a fun party celebrating each other because this is a respite. If there's nowhere else in your life, for like one hour, sometimes an hour and a half, you can come here Tuesday nights and have peace and love and positivity with us. So thank you all so much. Um, thank you again, Mary and Tina. You two are an inspiration to, I can't tell you how many, how many people out there in this world. You really, you are changing lives. And thank you. Thank for you. Your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Good night, everybody. We love you. Have Good a night. beautiful week. <laughs> <laughs>